I don't say that I chose God. I honestly say God chose me. I looked around and I was always craving that role model, that female role model. We'd like to start this. It's for converts, for the broader community, and it's led by women. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين محمد وعلى آله أجمعين. We would like to welcome a dear sister of ours, a dear sister of ours, Sarah Sabah, uh, the founding director of Benevolence, um, a sister that's uh, been heavily involved in the Islamic community at many, many different stages and forms, mashallah. Uh, you do a lot of uh, support work for uh, converts, mashallah, from what I know, and also you've received a honorary medal for female leadership, which is absolutely amazing, mashallah. I'd like to welcome my sister, Sarah Sabah. Welcome to the Safi Bros podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Hello, We are so glad that you're here, mashallah, and we are blessed to have you. Um, so inshallah, today is your success story. Mm. So today is your story of success and your uh, journey. And mm. subhanAllah, through uh, the times, especially in you know, your younger days, I'd, lo- I'd love to start in your younger days, mashallah, you know. I know you came, I think, from Syria when you were six years of age, correct? I came from Lebanon, from Lebanon. when I was six years of age. I was born in Beirut and my parents escaped the civil war at the time. So uh, what year was that? It was 79. 79, wow. mashallah. There you go. She's actually Lebanese. <laughs> you know what? To be absolutely fair, I am from Bilad Sham. Uh, yeah, like we'll take that. We'll take that one. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Before they cut us off into pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so we are from Sham. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So take us through that journey. Escaping civil war. Yes, coming to. How did you end up in Australia? How did yeah. that work? How many siblings? All right. How long do we have again? We have <laughs> plenty of time. So. Um, I'm the youngest of five children, um, and my eldest brothers, my two elder brothers, had already come to Australia because um, Australia had opened its doors to migration at the time. We are related to Sheikh Fahmi, oh, and wow. so he had come out first, and um, my auntie had come out. So a few members already come out. Wow! And so it was just about a matter a matter of time that the rest of us come out. And the reason we left, um, we, I was born in Beirut. My parents were um, in the clothing industry. They were fashion designers. Wow. They would export to Europe. So I grew up in a very cosmopolitan, you know, Beirut. As they say, it's the Paris of the Middle East. Yes. Yeah, so that's the household I grew up in. Wow. Um, very lively. Um, uh, lots of people, lots of music, lots of parties. Um, and... So do you remember Beirut at a six, as a, at a six year old? Do you remember that? I do remember. Uh, what, what, uh, what was what was something that you remember? So like it was a highlight. What of, I of remember is what I actually remember is this is not going to be pleasant, but I remember the tanks um, oh. going through the streets of um, we used to live in Khand al Yani going down the streets of of that of our street, and I remember the bullets. I remember finding bullets. Um, we escaped our house for a short period of time to Syria and then came back and found bullets inside our, our couches, which meant the soldiers had taken over our house, our apartment, oh, wow. and were staying there. I remember when is the bullets... Is this a civil war or when Israel invaded? To my recollection, rec- I think it was the civil war at the time, oh. if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, but what I do remember is when the bombs would start, mum would tell us to go run and hide in the bathroom because that was the furthest out from the main street. Oh, wow. And we'd go under inside the bathtub for some reason 
or yeah, underneath yes. the, I don't know why the inside the bathtub. Because that's the most sheltered. Because yeah. they all made of cast iron. Yeah. Those old. Yeah. Kind of, we used to go down to the basement. Yes. We had a we had a, like a bomb t- shelter in right. the night. So there was a bomb shelter underneath our building. Right. So whenever the bombs were hitting, when we were kids, I remember when I was around like right. 10 years of age, we'd go down to the basement and oh. wait there because mm. that was the most sheltered and mm. sort of stronghold of the whole building. Mm. And it had escape areas where if it, the building did collapse, we could still escape. So I still remember oh. that so well. Mm. Allah Akbar. So, so take us, take us there to that time where you decided, you, you know, your family decided to come to Australia. And So um, I, I, I remember my parents saying, we have to pack, we have to leave. Uh, this is a weird memory, but I had this huge teddy bear that I have a photo with that was as, probably as big as me. And mum said I couldn't take him. Oh. And it's a weird memory to share with you. <laughs> but but he would make a sound. And I said, Mum, I've got to take him with me. She's like, you can't take him. And that was the saddest thing that I couldn't take my – and oh, it wow. sounds so small, but coming to Australia, and I didn't have language, it was a mm-hmm. whole migrant story yes. where coming to Australia um, on an aeroplane, it was really exciting to be on an aeroplane, but my brother and I, um, so it was three of us, my sister – my brother and I, my brother was three years my senior, we went into, I was in grade one, didn't have a word of English. Wow. You know, going to school with two lunch bags. My brother was too cool to take a paper bag to school with Arabic bread. <laughs> Which school? We went to Thornbury Primary. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thornbury Primary. <laughs> so where were you living? We were living in Thornbury at the time. Oh, wow. Mm. So you landed, went to Thornbury. Yeah. You know why Victoria, Melbourne? Only because my eldest Femi, yeah. brothers Brother, were here and brothers. Chef Femi was already yeah, here and true. my aunties yeah. were here and yeah. we have family here. Wow. And so, yeah, I was just, you know, going to school and learning language and feeling left out and not having language really mm. shaped me um, and shaped my identity. Always being, you know, behind the eight ball mm. really yeah. shaped my identity. So where did you go to high school? <laughs> Preston Girls. Preston Girls. <laughs> wow. Preston Girls. So, um my childhood went that my my parents my my parents divorced and my mother um, lived in a housing commission in Northcote, so we grew up in the uh, rough part of Melbourne at the time. Wow, so housing commission in that part it was early eighties. Yeah, in the eighties, it was actually quite rough. It was quite rough. Yeah, it's been. And being a single mom, mum was always worried about us, worried about my brother. Right about me, um, wow. but we got through it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then you finished high school? And then I finished high school. Yeah. How was that experience? It was Preston Girls was multicultural, so it was fine, but I wore hijab at the age of just as turned 15, so I lost a lot of friends along the way. Wow. Um, because I was part of the cool girls. <laughs> Before hijab, can, can you can you take us with that what decision that you yeah, that made? Journey, that journey, so that decision to to put the hijab on. I think a lot of sisters. Was there of, a lot of Muslims then in Preston Girls? There were a few Muslims at Preston Girls. Not many wearing hijab in the eighties. Not many people wore yes. hijab. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I guess you know you had you and I had a conversation, Ahmed, about um, about there comes a time in your life where you have to make a decision. You you like you're almost entering a fork situation. You make a decision. For me, that pivotal time in my life where um, I made the biggest decision in my life was when I was 14. And people think 14 is so young, and it is young, but not when you've led the kind of life that I've led. I've, you know, come out of civil war and, you know, migration and parents divorced. And then when I was um, 14, 
my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Allah. And so my parents, my parents, like I said, were divorced. It was an unhealthy relationship they were in. So it was really, you know, it was, it was, it was good for them to have separated. But mum being diagnosed with stomach cancer was quite difficult. She knew she was unwell. She wasn't diagnosed with that. She was diagnosed actually with, a, uh, with an ulcer. But innately, you know. So she knew. So she decided to go on Hajj. Before she went on Hajj, the day my mother divorced, my mum never wore hijab. But the day she divorced, she packed a scarf in her handbag and she got her hair perm beforehand because wow. it was the 80s. And that's what was fashionable. <laughs> yeah, very, so very, it's coming perm. back. Exactly. <laughs> she got a hair perm. She went to the studio and took photos, all of that. And then the day of the divorce came and she packed a scarf in her bag. So we didn't come from a family that was practicing. Mama prayed. She fasted. But we didn't talk about religion. Once again, it was the 80s. Religion mm, yeah. wasn't something that you discussed. Yeah. I went to Sunday school, Sheikh Fahmeen. That's, that's, that's as far as it went. But she came home that day from the from from the courts wearing a hijab. And I was like, Mama, what's going on? What's, what's that about? And she just smiled as if saying, I remember this, as if saying, I'm going home, like I'm good now, I'm settled now. Oh, like wow. I said, it was an unhealthy relationship, so she just felt I'm content with what has happened. But it was almost a preparation, I'm going home. I could feel it. But I didn't think anything of it. So I've always had a really positive association with hijab. For me, hijab was empowering. For me, hijab was her choice. For me, it was a hijab was when she made the choice to live an unhealthy relationship, she embarked on her religious and faith journey. So I've always had a really positive association with hijab. So when mama became, so just mama decided to go on pilgrimage, um, knowing she was unwell, my brother went with her and she couldn't complete her pilgrimage. Wow. Because the doctor who became so unwell, the doctors Allah. there said, we'll either operate here or she goes back home. Allah. So she came back home. And I remember coming home from school, uh, year nine, and just seeing her at home. I was like, what are you doing back? Why aren't you meant to be on Hajj? And then we understood. She went into hospital. Four months later, she passed away. So we pray that Allah Ta'ala accepted her Hajj yeah, because she was there. Intention, yeah. But why I made that choice in my life to wear hijab and even start a faith practice is because I left school and I was with my mother every single day when she was unwell. I would be at 7 a.m. in the hospital. I'll be the last one to leave at 9 or 10 p.m. at night. Wow. I would feed her. I would take her to the bathroom. I would shower. I would do everything with her. And it was the, just the nicest moments of my life. I, I, would, I can't tell you. They're the best memories I have. So I was 14. And when she passed away, I was there with her, as were my siblings. And it was not the day that she passed was quite, that was quite you know, difficult, but it was the next day, which is the day of the funeral. Mm. And as we know, we bury without a coffin. Yeah. And to see my mother was the first funeral I ever attended. Oh, wow. Subhanallah, yeah. To see her wrapped in white shroud being put under the earth and not having a wooden coffin because I wanted her in my 14-year-old mind to protect her (laughs) from the inevitable was the most difficult image I had had ever witnessed. And I remember standing there by this huge oak tree that was there, still is, thinking, where did she go? What's life about? Is there life after death? All these questions came mm. pouring down my mind, down, down, down within. And the only thing I could feel quite strongly was, 
there is a life after death, there is God, and she's going back to Allah. And it had to be that way. And people often say to me, you held on to God because you were weak. And my response to that is, yeah, absolutely. Huh. I held on to God because nobody else could tell me where did my mother go. Amen. Don't tell me she lived all this life for nothing. And so it was that moment that that fork in the road that I, I don't say that I chose God. I honestly say God chose me. Subhanallah. And that's when I wore hijab soon after. Allahu Akbar. So that was your sort of your catalyst, catalyst, to, that was my to, catalyst. to Islam and just, and, and yeah, mashallah, you haven't stopped since, you know. I haven't stopped <laughs> since. Alhamdulillah. Shukrillah. Um, and it's, it's my mother's departure. Sometimes we think it's what Allah gives us that helps us grow. It's what Allah takes away as from well, us as well. Allah, I, mean, I often say that my mom leaving has been the most pivotal thing in my life, the most painful, the most important, and the most pivotal. And I have shaped my entire life around that one yeah. moment and that one individual. So, so would you say that moment, that moment when you sort of, there, so all these questions started coming, would that be the darkest moment you ever had in your life or would it be the most positive moment you ever had? You know how we have the Quranic ayah, with hardship comes ease and the ulama say it's within the hardship is the ease. That's what I felt. Like I, I, when I bring my 14-year-old mind back, I didn't, I wanted them to stop putting dirt on her. Allah. Just stop it. I wanted to yell, stop it. Like bring, like just, I, it's, it's, wow. it's a difficult sight. Yes, subhanAllah. Like just anything. For a 14-year-old. For a 14-year-old. First time. Yeah. We watched Dad. That was my first time of touching it, you yeah. know, a dead body. Mm-hmm. And I like, I, it, was, it was interesting because when I was watching Dad, his feet was one way and I was moving his feet trying to put it straight and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> the brother that was washing bodies goes, what are you doing? And he goes, you can't move the body. It, the way it is, it's the vessel. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm, I was shocked because, you know. And yeah, it's, I, confronting. I was, it's confronting. It's confronting. It's very confronting. Subhanallah. Especially Subhanallah. at 14, Allah Akbar. Yeah. That, that, so mashallah, that would have given you so much strength as a it person. You know, it's amazing how we can either go through strength or weakness and some people will fall apart or, or break apart or come together. And, and I felt it then. See, I felt that. I didn't have anyone to live with. I literally, I, my, my father wasn't in my life. <clears throat> I lived with my brother at the time and um, uh, my, my brother who was married with, with children. And I, and I felt like, do I move out on my own? What do I do? Like my whole world just crumbled. Wow. It was literally the carpet being pulled out from underneath me. She was my world. Yeah, and everyone's right. close to their mom, but yeah, she just wasn't my mom. She was my mom and my dad and my friend and like everything. Man, and then Allah says, No going to take this away from you. Allah, but what Allah. did he replace it with? He replaced it with him. Amen, oh. amen. And Allah so I, I always say, Rabbi, that was the hardest part of my life, but I thank you for it. Amen. And it always teaches me then, this idea of tribulation, that's where the gold is. Yeah. So I don't shy away from pain anymore. Yeah. From that moment on, I don't shy away from pain yeah, because I know that's where the openings are. Yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like bring it on, but <laughs> don't bring it on. So as I say, subhanAllah, pain uh, has a meaning. And it's a lot of meaning. A lot of people, the meaning of pain means stop. Mm. And to me, pain means go. Yeah. So, and and it's, just, it's just an idea, perspective. And whatever you have, as whatever you choose, whatever happens to you, you can have a choice to give it a meaning. And subhanAllah, you gave it that meaning. Of, yeah, you know. well, a story on that, subhanAllah, we were growing up, I think, 14, 16, and we went to one of Ahmed's close friends. Mm. 
and we went to, his name's Charlie, and we went to see him. And we didn't know he had a brother. Hmm. And we went to his house and he had an autistic brother. Hmm. And the mother, we were shocked because he's never told us about him. Hmm. When he told us the stories, it felt like he was a bit ashamed. But the most profound thing for me in Ahmed at 14 and 16 was his mother was, have you met my jewel? Mm. Uh, her blessings. This is my mm. blessing. She goes, I clean mm. for him, I cook for him, mm. I do everything. Her language was amazing, profound. And she was a non-Muslim. And then a, a day later, two days later, we went to a Muslim household, mm-hmm. same scenario, and she was like, oh, look what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put me through. Look at the test and tribulation. And we understood very quickly at that age it's exactly what you associate that pain or that situation. Yeah. It's amazing. It's and our, our beloved, he did that very well. Absolutely. In every trial and tribulation, he's seen the best in it. Absolutely. So it's and it's a belief that Allah will only give us what is good. Amen. We just can't see it. Yeah, that's right. And from our understanding of it, this is not good. But with Allah, if we can see the unseen, it has to be good. Amen, amen. It was good for my mother to leave the world at that time, although she was only 52. Allah. It was good for her to leave the world at that time. It was good for me to make those choices. It was good for the entire family. Amen. That was the ideal situation amen. for all, not just for one person, wow. but for everyone involved. Amen. Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah. Take us to so, so finish it well. Yes, and now take us through the journey of. Well, as soon as I started, you know. Connecting and really holding on to God. And I and I really want to emphasize, I did not hold on to God. I really believe Allah held on to me. Like I feel like it's really arrogant of us to think that we can do anything. It's Allah that says you, I want you, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And so, alhamdulillah. Um, then, you know, being a teenager and starting the path of faith, that's the ideal situation where you're just going to dump <laughs> Deep, you know, dive in. So you've you've dived into a lot of different organisations. I've dived in. In and out. (laughs) In and out. Alhamdulillah. But that's the human experience. Alhamdulillah. Take us, take us through that. Take us through that dive. The first dive was um, Tablir Jamal, which I owe uh, all my respect to. um, Beautiful community. Um, that that practice sincerely with the the way of the Prophet is their main objective and main goal, and so I I started going to women's classes there, and it was a very conservative community. Um, they supported my hijab. The women predominantly wear niqab there, so I really wanted to wear niqab. I I wanted to marry into the community. Um, so you went husband shopping there. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that community, it's it's they that choose you. <laughs> oh well, well and so I did get a proposal from someone within the Jamaah, but I was I lived with my like I said my two elder brothers knocked that over the head quite quickly. Allah. They could see it was a phase that I was going through, <laughs> um, and and when I say it's a phase. You know, when you're young, you do things to the extreme. And so, you know, being with my family, I would really put them down for watching television and why they're eating with a knife and fork (laughs) and things like that. (laughs) Three, two, I won. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that. But that's what you do when you're young. Yes, yes. It's all good from a a good place. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, it's usually always good from a good place, but obviously it's that journey of teachers. Subhanallah. And this is what we say, like, you know, me, Ibrahim, you know, we know the Halwasat. We're the people yeah. of middle ground. And I think we see a lot of brothers, especially young, especially at the Lewis Retreat, you see some brothers that are extreme to that side and some brothers extreme to that side. And, and the aim is just to bring them to the middle. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. both sides don't see. Like we had a brother, yeah. I was like, 
Oh, I can't be here. There's women, women playing sports, and I don't even want to see them. And you know, and then other brothers, that sister saying, "How come we can't play with the guys? You know, we want to play. It's not fair." <laughs> so so we, where do we bring this? So I know, we try to find the middle ground. You know, it's yeah. It's amazing. But that comes with age. Yeah, it's yes. it does. You know, that comes that wisdom of finding the middle path comes with age. But I was also part of Young Muslims of Australia. Yeah, why am I, Mashallah. Yeah. Brother yeah, Mahmoud. Yeah, Mahmoud. Mashallah. Mahmoud, Allah yeah. Ta'ala protect him, preserve him, give him yeah. a long life. Um, he has been pivotal in my life. Isn't he? Like, mashallah, he's been an instigator of so much khair through his camps. Absolutely. We've been to his yeah. camps ourselves yeah. uh, to support uh, yeah. cooking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and team leaders. And, and team leaders. Support, that we supported, yeah. subhanAllah. That was the younger days. Allahu Akbar, mashallah. So I was in year 12 at the time when he tapped me on the shoulder and said to me, I need you to organize a girls' camp. Wow. And I said, I'm oh, wow. doing year 12. I can't. I don't have time. He said, I really don't care. You're organizing a girls' camp. And so I organized the first YMA girls camp. Originally it was just boys? It was co-ed, always co-ed. Oh, okay. But we wanted a girls only camp. So from buses to education to menu to teachers to everything. I was was, uh, 16 and it was my first camp that I organized. So that's when my, I guess, activism really began. It wasn't something I chose once again. It was something that Allah said, you're doing this. Allah, Isn't that amazing how people see things in you and tap you on the shoulder and say, yeah. because why would they choose you? You know what I mean? Somehow, yeah. and I tell, yeah. the, I tell our youth, you know, you will be tapped on the shoulder when you show those exemplary manners, exemplary Absolutely. skill sets that every organization wants. Mm. And if you didn't have them, but you know, Ustaz Mahmoud would have never tapped you on the mm. shoulder and say, hey, come here. You know sure. what I mean? So that shows your ihsan mm. to the cause, that shows your ihsan to you know, to yourself and to what you're doing, Subhanallah. Allah bless you. So sixteen, running sixteen, running YMA camps. That's when we began. I didn't and know that. Yeah, and uh, obviously I married somebody within YMA at eighteen. And uh, so it took you about two years of camps to find out which one was the right one. <laughs> we want to know: was there anybody else other than Ramsey, please? Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that, you can't ask that kind of question. That's going to get cut. That's going to get upset. We that wasn't my question, Rams. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you were 16 and you got married at 18? Yes, he proposed when I was 16. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, Rams, he proposed when I was 16. I was in Tablija Ma still. Wow. And, um, yeah, we didn't know that. Yeah, and I didn't know. I was like, no, I want someone to bleak here. I want someone more religious than him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the half is. <laughs> yes, yes. Allah. Um, so, so Ramsey was part of YMA for a long time before? You, so it used to be AFIC. AFIC before YMA, we created YMA together. Okay, yes, yes. So it was AFIC before we'd go on AFIC, uh, AFIC camps, camps and things okay. like that. And so but YMA was organically created because AFIC camps stopped. And uh-huh. so there's a void. Oh. And so Estaz Mahmoud being, mashallah, the amazing teacher that he is, he said, we have to do, we have to continue on this momentum. So Coburg Moss was part of AFIC then? It wasn't part of AFIC, but we used to gather at Coburg oh. Moss. Oh, wow. So AFIC was its, on its own. It would do annual camps all around Australia, which brought us all together. Wow. So I attended a couple of them um, uh, even I was four, 15 and then 16 I attended. And then they stopped happening. And then Ustaz Mahmoud said, let's start our own. Wow. And so YMA was born. And so we started YMA together. Alhamdulillah, under the leadership of Ustaz Mahmoud. Um, my husband and I married at 18. Ramzi being one of the leaders, obviously, at YMA. Masha'Allah. And we we married each other for dawah. Wow. That wow. was the intention. When I people know. said to me, why did you marry your husband? I said, because I wanted someone that was going to be community-orientated. 
and was passionate about Dharma the way I was. That was my goal. And alhamdulillah, we haven't looked back. That's amazing. Allah Akbar. Alhamdulillah. You're literally going year by year of my life. <laughs> we are. <laughs> I, I want to ask you that question because a lot of, <laughs> lot, of, lot of sisters really ask that question mm. and that's a really major topic in the, at the retreats. Marriage. How do, you, how do you find the right one? So, so, I loved your intention. It's amazing. And you can see that I know Ramsey very well and I know you very well. And mashallah, I agree with you. Your intention was definitely mm. that. Mm. How, do you, how do you advise these young sisters that are looking for a husband to make sure that that intention is correct, Mm-mm. where it's, it's purpose-based instead mm. of just no, just want to get married? Mm. They have no real vision behind yeah, that. Because like, it's, it's, we, we know it's, yeah. it's, it's really half your deen, so it's yeah. such a big core. Yeah, we've, we've heard the stories, uh, I want to get married just to get out of home, mm. I want to be free. Get, you know what I mean? Like we've heard so many different ones. Like you know what I mean? I want to go out to restaurants. <laughs> you know what I mean? So subhanallah, we we hear it. We hear so much. And subhanallah, just so, just so for our young sisters, inshallah, yeah. some advice. What, what, what would you? What would you oh, look, I think it's good to take us through your story. Maybe if you can familiarize that for yourself, so then okay. we can share that story with them. So they can. So how I ended up choosing my husband is that. I was starting. This is like this is the this is the early nineties. So I was I was getting proposals, and I was I was the reason I was getting proposals is because I was wearing hijab, and I looked that I was on a faith journey. Remember, this is a time when people weren't really practicing. Mm. It was quite radical to wear hijab back then. Mm. Incredibly radical. Yes. Mm. Um, there were there were no hijab stores out there. None zilch. <laughs> um, and so would I would literally get fabric and make it myself. And so for a young Muslim woman to outwardly walk out in abaya and a hijab, it was quite radical. So I was already categorized as super practicing, uh, which is a wonderful thing, alhamdulillah, which meant I was attracting, you know, uh, proposals that were uh, wanting the same kind of lifestyle. But I actually wrote it down on pen and paper what I wanted in a man. The first thing was, you know, we say this and we don't really understand what it means. I wanted to marry for the sake of God. What does that mean? We say that a lot. It's like marry for the sake of Allah. What does that mean? We need to understand that our marriage partner is A, already predestined, but we need to have the intention so we can mirror mirror. I knew from a young age, coming from a family background that was dysfunctional, that your spouse is going to impact you in this world and the world to come. And Mm -hmm. I knew that at a very young age. I wanted my spouse to be my mirror with God. I wanted him... You know, to to show me my my strengths and my weaknesses, to improve me, to better me, for me to better him as well. A lot of women say, I want a man to help me be better, but what about you making him better? It has to be you're mirroring each other. And your spouse will impact you every single day of your life and will impact your akhirah. I knew that at a very young age. And so when we say marry for the sake of Allah, that's what we're talking about. And so for me, I wrote that down. The first one was, I want someone that can hold my hand on the journey to God and that I can hold his hand on the journey to God and raise God-conscious children. I really wanted that. Allah. You know, I wanted, you know, fasting Mondays and Thursdays to be normalized. I, I didn't have to explain, you know, to Hajjod or retreats or anything like that. Yeah, like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that we take for granted today. Yes. Yes. But you got to remember back then it wasn't normal. Yeah, it wasn't. No. There were that no was, retreats. That was extreme. That's extreme. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't normal. All the things that I'm saying to you is like, it's a very you long can, time. I can only imagine the resistance you would have copped through that. Oh, people thought I was incredible. My family thought I was weird. 
My, fa- yeah. my family's yeah. still married. When I first got married, what's yeah. that now, 20 years, I was the first one in the family to marry hijabi. Yeah, there right. you go. So, you know, yeah. I mean, now, like, she was the first. Yeah, there family. you go. And that's 20 years. That's yeah. 20 years, yeah. 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 That's, why, that's, why yeah. that's why I'm mentioning yeah. it. How, how, how did you combat the resistance? Like, honestly, like, like did, it, did it ever bring you down? Did you, like, you know? Like, I know, like, we cop that resistance. Every one of us, you know, we've cop that resistance. And, mm-hmm. like, how did you combat it personally? Then? I think it's hard when it's coming from your own family members as well as from the external community. Mm. I remember my first day in hijab going to school. It was term two. I was like, build up the courage, <laughs> term two. And like I said, I didn't have role models around me and it was just falling apart on me. I was walking to school and it was just falling. Literally my hijab was not <laughs> getting on properly. And I looked, I, I just, I just, I just looked so weird. I Ooh. know I did. And, you know, trying to lengthen my uniform and I was trying to find, I didn't have a role model. Oh. I was my own role model. Wow. And I think the hardest part about when I think about my life is that, yeah, I was my own role model. Oh, wow. And I looked around. I couldn't see a young woman wearing it. I didn't look at it. My mum had passed on. I didn't, I didn't have anyone around me. That was the most difficult part. And then my own family would say, why are you doing this to yourself? Like, why? <laughs> and then the broader community would be like, you look weird. This is before Islamophobia was a thing. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It was just, yeah. I remember the boys' high school would call me Tea Towel Head. Oh, Allah. I was just like, hey, Tea Towel Head. It wasn't, it wasn't terrorist. It was Tea Towel Head. <laughs> Subhanallah. You know, someone thought I had cancer and I had treatment. It was yes. someone thought I was a nun once. I got on a tram, like, sister, you don't pay. Please sit down. I'm like, okay. So I took that <laughs> one and sat down. It's just mixed. It's hard to imagine a time before social media and 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 nine yes. eleven, where Islam is just everyone knows about Islam. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. Subhanallah. Nine eleven did catapult the. the Perception of Islam, you know, Subhanallah. So, 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 in your in your own self, you just internalized it and just dealt with it, and, and you spoke to yourself. Is that how you dealt with it? Is that how you like? Like a lot of us, sometimes, like I'm talking about how some, you know, brothers and sisters, like, mm. how do you find sanity in that in your own self? You know what I mean? Like, mm. how do you deal with it? How do you internalize that? What do you? How do you talk to yourself with that? That's what that's what I'd like to know. Mm. I talk to God. I remember sit, sitting. I remember one day coming home from school in high school and it was just a bad day. And, and I remember looking in the mirror and I'm like, remember, what? why did you do this? Why are you wearing hijab? And to mind you, when I was 15, 16, wearing hijab, I didn't really understand. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be really honest with you. All I knew is I'm a Muslim, I'm a Muslim woman, and this is what is virtuous. And it's what Allah's asked for me to do. But did I have a, a deeper understanding of it? I'll be honest with you. No. But I remember standing in front of the mirror looking at myself and saying, just remember, why are you doing this? Getting emotional right now. Why are you doing this? You ought to be for your sake. You ought to be for your sake. You ought to be for your sake. And that was the internal conversation you had. Yeah. And that kept you, that kept you saying, subhanAllah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and, and, and I think a lot of us do that. And I think uh, the reason I'm asking is that is because we have so many sisters that come and, and, and they do get affected by the external community and by the external world. That mm. does, it's a pressure, mm-hmm. it's a pressure ball. You know what I mean? So subhanAllah, may Allah bless you. And, uh, for, now for, for we have so much support. Yeah, yeah, alhamdulillah. As an adult, I have, my, I have my team of friends around me that are supporting. I have my family. I have so many support structures. Yeah, and I'm an adult. 
Yeah. But when you're young, um, even now, young people even do young, have yeah, lots of support. Fun. It's just yeah. a different world. Oh, but there are, there are some, like, you know, I've heard, we've got stories, like, you know, from the retreat, the sisters that do not have any support sure. and do not. That, and, that's how, yeah, and, and, and you get back. life is different. So and, and it's life. beautiful to give that kind of, you know, sure. solution. I think that's a beautiful solution. Like, yeah. you know, talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, and, and that's what I did, like, personally, myself. Yeah. And I was, I remember, like, you know, the hardest yeah, of times. Yeah, you know, we sit there in the bed, you know, looking up to the sky <laughs> and talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Ya Rabbi, you know. And, you know, I know people dismiss that because so many people ask me till today, you know, Sarah, you work so hard and, you know, you serve the community. Who takes care of you? Who do you talk to? And my response <laughs> is always the same, but it's not like, oh, I only have God. It's like, I have Allah. Who do you have? <laughs> it's like it's the, I have Allah. SubhanAllah. When you can talk to Allah at any moment, any time, whether it's in the middle of the night or while you're driving, you just know Allah's listening. It's not not li- listening and taking it on Allah. and I'm going to return my worries and concerns to you. Amen. When you have deep yaqeen that you have that relationship. Yeah, I totally agree. Awesome. It doesn't mean we don't have humans. The Prophet yeah. 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 We feel pain, we, we cry, we have emotions. Yeah. As I say, you, you feel it, yeah. you, know, you absorb it, you know it, yeah. but you don't lose it. You know? Alhamdulillah. Okay, beautiful. I think it's, it's a beautiful journey that you've taken us through. Mm. Thank you for digging deep. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, I can so only, so know, now there's YMA. What other journey did you take then? So I, you know, working with Young Muslims of Australia for a long period of time, my husband and I, we've ha- you know, had our three children together um, and we're running camps and programs and digital classes. And there was a time in our life that every single evening was booked up. Wow. Like we'd have Sunday night is for family night to see, you know, the family. Monday was Tajweed, Tuesday was Aqidah, Wednesday was Fuqa. Every day was booked up. We're either wow. giving a class or we're going to a class wow. every single day of the week. And that's how we lived our life. And um, and that's, I guess, what my husband and I wanted is to be in service to the community. And then there came a time, though, I looked around and I was always craving that role model, that female role model. I, I had a wonderful role model in my teacher, Estaz Mahmoud, and so many male teachers around me, Sheikh Fihmi and other male teachers, but I didn't have a female role model. And wow. there was always this gap in my heart. It's like, what does it look like to be a female teacher? What does that look like? Are there yeah. any around? I wow. read about them. Yeah. I read about Aisha, I read about the Muhaddithat, the woman of, that would, re, would uh, narrate hadith. I know they existed once upon a time. And is it okay to be a female teacher? Is it actually even okay? Like all those questions wow. were always within me. And so I said to my husband, I want to go to Syria and I want to live there and I'm, I want to find a sheikha. There must, they, there must be female teachers there. I want to go and find wow. one. Wow. And, and he, God bless him, he always follows my crazy ideas. <laughs> and he says, all right, my father lived in Syria at the time, so let's pack shop. It'll be a great experience for the children. We packed up and we took, obviously, we took Manal and we <laughs> yes, went. You took my wife. <laughs> you took your wife. Um, and we lived in Syria for a year and um, I found female teachers. Can I share the story how I found yeah, her? Yeah, of course. It's, of it's, course. A, it's just a phenomenal story. Amazing. So we landed in Damascus. Not, not knowing anyone. Not knowing anyone. We were wanting to go to Hama. That's where my, my, my father is from. And I was going to stay in Hama. So we landed in Damascus. It's a three-hour bus trip to Hama. Land in Damascus. We're sitting at the bus stop. 
And uh, here we are, three young children, my husband and I and my niece, and we're talking in English. Um, and then there's a lady sitting next to us in Niqab, and she's overhearing this conversation, and she said, where are you from? Like, we're talking to this lady in Niqab. <laughs> it's like, we're from Australia. She said, oh, what are you here to do? And we're talking English. I said, oh, we're going to live in Hama, and we want to study. I want to study religion. And she said, uh-huh. And who are you studying with? I said, I don't know. She said, you mean to tell me you're coming across the world? You're going to a, a, a small township. Hama's really tiny. Yeah. Wow. You're going to a small city, but you don't know who you're going to study with. You haven't made contact. I said, nope. She said, here's my number. Call me when you arrive to Hama. Wow. We both been on the bus, <laughs> arrived in Hama. I saw my father. I said, is this weird? This lady in Naqab gave me her number. Is it weird? Is it safe? He said, this is Hama. Call her up. It'll be very safe. <laughs> I called her up. She picked us up. She took me to this institution called Mahad al-Andalus, um, which is uh, um, uh, like a mosque. It is a mosque. And I walked in, doors opened. All I see in front of me are hundreds of women sitting in circles, sitting in circles, sitting in the reciting Quran, reciting Quran. Wow. And it's a sight I've never seen before. Wow. Each circle, you know, with, with the teacher and I could see them all again. The sound of Quran, the sound of Quran, hundreds. Wow. And I walk in and I'm just looking around thinking, where am I? I've never seen this before. And she takes me straight into the office where I meet um, my teacher, then the, the I didn't know, um, and Surafeda. And she sat me down and she said to me, you know, what brings you here? And I told her the whole story. And she turned around and she said, Allah loves you. Wow. And coming from Australia, we're not used to that. So what do I say? I say, Astaghfirullah. <laughs> and she said, why would you say Astaghfirullah? I've said Allah loves you. Why do you say Astaghfirullah? I said, because I'm not worthy. Uh, we come from a culture here in Australia where we beat ourselves up. Yeah, that we're not worthy of Allah's love. <laughs> and she said, if you don't think that Allah taking you from Melbourne, Australia, bringing you across the world right in front of my feet is not Allah's love for you, and I don't know what is. <laughs> different perspective, isn't it? Different perspective. Isn't it amazing how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens doors and it's it's I, I say miracles are happening every day. And and it's sometimes we have to have the heart and the vision to be able to see that. Absolutely. And, and be open to it because we won't see it. We won't see it if we're not Allah, open to it. Yeah. One of the things my teacher would always say is that Allah's always talking to us, but we just can't hear him. Amen, mm. amen. Every moment. People amen, say, amen. Why isn't Allah listening? It's like you see this? So that is always talking. <laughs> so that story for me is just simply intention aligning intention. In the same way prior to getting married, aligning intention. Yeah. And Allah opens up. Allah. Allah opens up. So were you there for just a year? Just a year. And then we came back and then I went back again for four months. So I would go and come regularly wow. until the war began and I haven't been since. Wow. So that Still was your teacher? Still my teachers. I oh, still wow. one of my teachers. I still take Quran lessons with till today. Wow! wow. Amazing. So that was pre-ICV time when you guys got involved. Um. Yes. Yes. Because yeah, you came back. And then came back, and then my husband. So within that time, YMA and all of that, I was part of the establishment of the Islamic Women's Welfare Council, which is now known as Amwicha uh, Australian Muslim Women's. I don't know what it stands for. Islamic Women's Welfare Council at the time, uh, worked with the ICV, worked with other organisations. But upon coming back, my husband took the role of president of ICV for seven years. I remember the man, years. Rosie, mashallah, did a seven-year-long time, mashallah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What an effort. <laughs> wasn't he? he did a great that, job. That was well, a good effort, actually. Yeah, what an effort. You had Walid Ali's part of the yes. team, Ahmed Imam. Yes, yes. Had some had a good team. had a good team. Yes, yeah, had a great team. But when I came back, I was inspired by what female teachers look like mm-hmm. and very different to the Western narrative. Yeah. See, the Western narrative at the time, and probably still is, is very much a, a gender war. What mm. I noticed in Syria is that the men, the mashayikh, were very quite comfortable with the female mashayikh. Yeah. Very comfortable. They, there was respect. Mm. Yeah. And, but the women had their own space. Yeah. And that I found quite profound. And they would teach women. And I found that quite profound. So when I came back, I was very much inspired by that. And without realizing it, I went back into teaching. So I was already teaching before I left and I went back into teaching. I had my own class on a Monday um, and I went back into teaching. So went straight back into it. Isn't that amazing? SubhanAllah. Like, like I go back, say, I go in, in leadership, SubhanAllah. I go back to a, like a, a friend of mine, you know, a Jewish friend of mine who, you know, I grew up with. Uh, and, I, you know, he mentioned he's very successful, extremely successful. And I, and I said to him, I said to him, why are you striving so much to be so successful? You know what I mean? He goes, because there's so many people that I look up to mm. in my community. Mm. And he goes, I, I want to be like that guy and that guy and that guy. And I said, subhanAllah, like me at a 19-year-old, you know, I remember that conversation I had and I'm thinking to myself, who do I look up to? Mm. You know what I mean? Like who do we have that I can look up to to say, I want to be like that guy? And there wasn't. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? there honestly wasn't. You know what I mean? And and it was harder. And now that you've seen somebody that you want to look up to, it's just so much easier. If they can do it, so can I. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? And subhanAllah, right. that's sort of the profound moment I personally had as well, is that yeah. when you see somebody, and again, when I started looking up to Sheikh Fahim, mashallah, you know, and him pulling me into his organization, like, if you can do it, so can I. So subhanAllah, we have that. I think we, mashallah, alhamdulillah, we have that now a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. So much. Comparatively, when we didn't have it at a younger age, subhanAllah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, that, that's so profound. And I think a lot of us, and that's why we're doing this podcast, honestly. Mm. This podcast is that where we can, inshallah, showcase our brothers and sisters that they can do it, so can you. And yeah. inshallah, we need a hundred of you, sis. We don't need only one. <laughs> One's not enough. So inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless our sisters. Was that the, the birth of benevolence? Was that, so, was that your core? You wanted the sisters' place? Benevolence was organically formed. I never intended it to be born. But when I came back from Syria, I was already teaching. I was teaching at the mosque. and. Bit by bit, I felt we were being mm, almost ushered out of the mosque. Ushered, <laughs> yes. Um, it was a time still. Very Once again, this is 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's been around 15 years. So it was a time where uh, women's voices still weren't present in religious uh, gatherings, gatherings yeah. at mosques, in leadership. Now it's everywhere. Mm. Now we have leadership courses for Muslim women. It's just everywhere. But back then, it was a time where they weren't present. And when I would be teaching a women's class at the mosque, I, I could, the imam would always say things about us not really welcome there. And it would always play on my mind. Wow. And, and the other reason that benevolence was organically established is that there were two other groups of people whose needs I could see were not being met. And I would always work with them, my friend, um, and I would always work with them, and that are converts. People that embrace Islam, where do they go? Mm. Where do converts go? Yeah. At the mosque, everyone's celebrating them, takbir, Allahu Akbar, <laughs> everyone gives them a hug. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happens? <laughs> 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 then 
Islam, Sheikh Abdullah said. Right. <laughs> yes, but give me a kiss. And that's it. Don't marry our sisters. <laughs> there are no support. There's no, no support. support. It is. SubhanAllah, yeah. And then I also saw another group of people that weren't really receiving support, and that is the broader non-Muslim community yeah. in terms of if they really wanted to understand Islam, where do they go? This is now post 9-11, of course. Yeah. Because we had gone through as a community and during that time, personal 11, we created so many programs because we were very much telling the broader community, don't fear us. Mm. Yeah. That's the only thing we could offer the broader community. Yeah. I remember two days after 9-11 when somebody attacked me with a crowbar wow. when I was walking down Hawthorne by myself. Um, well, wow. he threatened to harm me, to be fair, with a crowbar. And I didn't take him seriously but because what was going through my mind is that surely he wouldn't hurt me. This is Hawthorne. Right? Oh. Really? But I remember thinking, if I yelled out for help, would anybody come to my rescue? Allah, because wow. it was just two days after 9-11. Everyone mm. was in a heightened state of fear. Yeah. And all he needed to say was, she has a bomb under there. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, that's and that love. period of time that the Muslim community went through, and especially Muslim women, yeah. yes. was incredibly difficult. Incredibly I, had, difficult. I, had, I had a lady, I, I was working, and I said, just again, a couple of days after September 11, had a lady, and again, I don't, I don't know if I, I didn't have a beard those days, you know, and she followed me to my parking, called the police on me and said, this guy's got a bomb in his car. Wow. And the police came with dogs and, wow. and I was at work because I put it next to the camera where I work so, so I can see it. And so like cops came with mirrors underneath my car wow. and came and checked up and I said, said this but, man, uh, this some, lady, some of these you've done really not understand. The post eleven, yeah, and what after. we what we copped then. And there's yeah. a lot of people, even like you know, I don't think I look that Muslim to be honest. <laughs> Those days, you know what I mean. Days, especially our sister, I totally. Our agree. sisters copped it the most. I remember the, 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 we we had so many situations, trains and oh, absolutely. And they were really, really also brushed under the. Yeah. the you were privy to a lot of that. You know? uh, we were at the forefront of yeah. it, receiving it, and uh, obviously it's when the Islamophobia register began soon after registering yeah. all these attacks. But we've had women dragged out of uh, their car, bashed. I had a pregnant woman, nine-month pregnant woman, was bashed. Oh, wow. um, women's uh, hijab put a light on a tram, like wow. things. So to wear hijab in those days, until today, to be really fair, it's it's a huge risk if yeah. you want if you want to say. It. But what happened back then for the Muslim community is that women became the voices of the Muslim community. Mm. So whether it's benevolence and all the work that we did, we kind of got pushed into it. It's not that we put our hand up for it, but the broader community didn't want to hear from men yeah. because men were the, supposedly the problem, part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, right? Yeah, right? And they made us go into this discussion that wasn't really our discussion. Our men were not the problem. Yeah. But they wanted women to be the voices, yeah. whether it be in media whether it be, you know, interfaith, whatever it might be. So our woman became stronger at presentation yeah. and being out there. And so we created programs upon programs to alleviate people's fears. Yeah. Interesting it, it, time, it is, wasn't it? It was. It was so interesting, subhanAllah. And we had to be really creative. You know, we created a show. I, you know, worked on a program called My Dress, My Image, My Choice, which was a fashion that. show, which you, of course, worked. We catered for that. We catered, we catered <laughs> for that. We did all the catering which for that. Which was so successful. It toured Australia for 10 years. Subhanallah, yeah. Right? But amazing. what was the intention of that? Alleviate people's fears. Inshallah, yeah. you did. Right? You it's did, like yeah. hijab is empowering for us. Yeah, we, we want to wear it. That was groundwork yeah. stuff that you did, mashallah. Yeah. People don't appreciate it. They, they, yeah. they don't know as well. Some of these youth don't yeah. know what, yeah. what, how much the, you know, 
that previous, previous generations have done. Yeah, well, yeah, done. Yeah, done. But isn't it always the case? Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, I've done established. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I've grown up always seeing, you know, um, well, my children have grown up seeing halal meat in Islamic yeah. schools and <laughs> things that we take for granted. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I say, you know, subhanAllah, every one of us can be the torchbearer and every one of us can grab that torch. And subhanAllah, you know, like, you know, Sheikh Fahim was holding the torch and, you know, he passed away, and then, you know, other people like yourself have kept that torch going and, and every every person can hold that torch for Islam, subhanAllah, and, and keep, it, yeah. keep and pass it on. It has to be passing passed on. Passing on the baton. SubhanAllah. I think I just want to ask a really sort of question, and I know uh, it sort of digs deeper a bit, and undoubtedly, like, your sort of social profile went up, mm. you know, at one stage, and how, how did you deal with that sort of tall poppy syndrome where people were trying to chop you? I remember at one stage, you know, you were copying maybe some bad... Now, a lot, all of us copy, you know, once you sort of, you know, once you hit sort of a social profile and, like, and again, there's a lot of brothers and sisters that do deal with this within the community, like, and, ha- and how did you deal with that? How did you deal with that mm-hmm. attack and that, mm-hmm. I can only imagine the, the onslaught that you would have copied, especially being a sister and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So how did you personally deal with that and mm-hmm. what kind of protection did you sort of put around yourself? I think there are two things that I've always experienced in my um, life as a female leader in the Muslim community. One is from within our own community. (laughs) And one is from the external community. From our own community, the whole idea of can a woman even have a platform? Why is she teaching? Um, I've attended conferences and retreats that have not had a female speaker at all. And I was the first female speaker to attend international programs, first female speaker to, to teach there. And, and, Receiving that from the Muslim community is difficult because we know we have a history filled with female scholars and teachers and and activists and so on and so forth. But then you doubt yourself. I'm being really vulnerable now. You doubt yourself. Like, really? I have a close friend that I always, you know, my she's my confidant, and I often ask her, do you think this is okay that I'm doing? Like you have those little voices. Yeah. Maybe it's displeasing the to imposter Allah. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but for us as Muslims, it's always, what if this is displeasing to Allah? Allah Akbar, yeah. And then I have a friend, this friend will always say to me, but let's look at our seerah. Let's look at our seerah. Yeah, I mean. Let's go back to Quran. Mm. Is it displeasing to Allah? Are you doing? So that's one challenge. And then the challenge is from the broader community, mm. which is actually much easier than the broader community. yeah. yeah. How I deal, what, how I've dealt with both is two ways. One is having a circle. I have a circle of um, three sisters that are super close to me that they will tell me when I've made a mistake. Very honest with me. You've messed up there, Sarah. You shouldn't have done that. Sure. Absolutely. Or other times we'll say, you didn't do anything wrong, keep going. But you need people that also critique you and say to you, you completely failed that one. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Pick yourself up and try again. You don't want just a cheer squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's the hardest thing. Yes, <laughs> the yes, yeah, yes men. Yes men yes women around you. To me, that is the worst. <laughs> Allah, I've never liked yes people around me. In fact, I surround Allah. myself with people that critique me because I like that. Amazing. That's exactly what Professor Sheikh Abdullah spoke yeah. with the last. Yeah. Our last. Uh, yeah, it's so uh, important. Guest he so spoke. Important. He goes, the shura was so powerful. I didn't do anything unless yeah. my shura sort of gave me the and, insight. And, and it's a, the prophetic way. And Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like Amr radiallahu anh on the Mumbar said, you've got two two pieces of material. Where did you get them from? Yeah. And they want to reprimand him. He said, Alhamdulillah, I have a, I have an ummah around me that's yes. always going to critique me. Yes. So it's amazing. But today, I agree with you in our community, if you're not a yes person, you've become no longer part of that. You get pushed out. You get pushed out. It's like, yeah. but it's, it's okay having different opinions. It's okay to 
Yeah. Say your, your 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 opinion, but that's why your close friend, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu used to have close companions, yeah. and then the outer circle, yeah. and then the outer circle, yeah. and your close should be really yeah. like a couple people only. Yes, so my close close friendship circle, we have each other's back, and and yeah, the, until this day, always shura. And beyond that, though, how I deal with the backlash whether it's internal with myself, doubting myself, or it's coming from the Muslim community or coming from the broader community, is going back to why am I doing this again? Mm. Check my intention. Back to that mirror. Back to that mirror. <laughs> why am I doing this again? Ya Rabbi, is this pleasing to you? And remember the time of the Prophet Sallallahu in his famous dua that he, in the conversation that he had with Allah Ta'ala when he was in Ta'if, when he says, if this is pleasing to you, what they are doing to me, it's pleasing to you, I will, I'm not complaining. <laughs> and so in the Sira, we have everything. Yeah, I mean, we do we have everything. The solutions are all there. It's all there. <laughs> so sometimes you got to have the heart to look in there and look and find yeah. it. And it's painful. And it's not saying it's not painful. Sometimes there are times I just want to not get out of bed. It's like, oh, yeah. it's, not <laughs> out of bed. it's so hard. Subhanallah, yeah. And that's and, okay too. Yeah. That that's we're that's the human. That's the human element. We are human. Yeah. And remembering stories of the prophets, like, you know, when um, uh, being in the whale, prophet, Yunus Ali Salam, being in darkness, being inside the Allah. well, being in the bottom of the ocean, being in the dark ocean. Sometimes we have those moments. Amen. And Allah Ta'ala tells us those stories so we can reflect and say, but where was the opening? What dua did he utter? I mean, <laughs> yeah, to give us that opening. Allah. And constantly we see that we look at ourselves, we're the problem. I Amen. play myself. Amen. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, it's beautiful. I want to touch base on a lot of brothers and sisters will speak about something that's happened 10 years ago with somebody and mm. oh, he did this mistake. And I, t I say, subhanAllah, in our community, there's been so much growth mm. in every aspect. Bilal Asad, I've known for a long time, his growth in Islam and understanding of Islam, mm. where it was 10 years ago, is completely different worlds. Mm. Same with you, Sarah. Mm. You know, from, mm. we all, we all have come in with this, you know, you know, very, very. The widening of you know perspective, I mean? isn't it? And Thank people, God for age. <laughs> and people don't understand that. People don't. People still judge people on something that's yeah. ten years ago that they, they, they don't understand. They might have made mistakes along the way, but I, I, I wanted to t touch on that topic mm. because it's so important that we've lost a lot of good brothers, but we've lost credibility from previous ten mistakes, years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm. it's very important to not judge. On that perspective, it's, it's, it, we do have a very a judgmental community. Subhanallah, oh. you know what I mean, and, and they hold they hold it. You know what I mean, and I, and, I, and I tell people, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, yeah. most forgiving in this world and the hereafter. And yeah. Inshallah, have rahmah on these people, and especially the, it's not easy being in the limelight. It's not easy yeah. standing up there and copying the ayn, you know. And <laughs> I know I've stood up in the community, and when everyone's looking at you, you feel like melting because <laughs> you can always see their thoughts. <laughs> Attacking. It's like you know, um Allah. Brene Brown, um, familiar with her work, she talks about vulnerability and she does a lot of work around shame and vulnerability. But when she talks about this idea of people critiquing you and you know, sometimes you do have your inner um anxieties around it. Do I say that? What do people will say? And that restricts us. Brene Brown says, if you're not in the arena, then you can't you don't have the right to critique. Get in the ring, get into the arena. arena yeah, if talk. you're in there and you're battling with the lion, 
then you can speak. But if you're just watching it, <laughs> how do you Keyboard wires. <laughs> okay. So, so. Amazing analogy. We're, we're in there. Like if you're in there and, you know, I have friends and I have colleagues that have been critiqued so much, yeah. you know, at, who are, especially that are in the media. And it's so hard to be in the media. It is, it is. Um, and to be in live media and to be any type of media. It's so difficult. You've, you've been privy to that a lot. I remember you were like in the media a fair bit, mashallah. At know? one stage I was. And TV time I think it was, wasn't it? It was. Um, and once again, because having the, the female voice out there. and But each time you, each time you, you don't want to be there and you regret going. Each time. There was never a time that I said, oh, I'm so excited to go. <laughs> and that was awesome. SubhanAllah, Sheikh Abdullah, yeah, she shared a story yeah. where he went and did Four Corners, was it? Yeah. yeah uh, and, and he was asked a certain question and he said to him, this is the question I'm going to ask. Yeah. And then they manipulated it and said, they took just one word out which yeah. changed the whole meaning of that <laughs> question. Yeah. And he said, no, I refuse to, to go on the panel. Mm. And then three other colleagues actually walked. Up, they said, yeah. if he walks, we walk. That's the unity, profound, yeah, of. unity of profoundness nice. of Sheikh Abdullah. And they said, okay, you can ask any question you want because <laughs> they were literally going to lose 30% yeah. of their, their panel so they couldn't afford it. But he, just, he was talking about how the manipulation of media Absolutely. where they, yeah. they can take just one word out and, and the question becomes and completely different. live media is oh my so God. I actually don't do live media on television because it's so difficult. Wow. Yeah. So I, radio but not TV. Love. I, yeah. I, I, I go into safe area like ABC. <laughs> like even if it's channel nine or seven, it's just yeah, usually can, about can, Ramadan yeah. or Eid, something really simple. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Yeah, yeah Isn't you, that can't, amazing? you can't you can't trust I think it. a lot of people do not understand the pressure of that. You know, a lot of people yeah, I think they fail pressure. to understand. Like they haven't been in the ring like you said, you know? Yes. SubhanAllah. And that's awesome, mashallah. So take us through the benevolence maybe. Yes, I think that would be like I, I know like uh, I know like uh, Angie uh, Yes, my little part baby, of the very my, my, my little, and Abir was also yeah, part absolutely. of my wife. Where... So, benevolence was this idea that, you know, what if we started a community? It wasn't meant to be an organization, but it was meant a community where it was led, dare we say, led by women. What would that look like? And it wasn't meant to be anti men. And we talk about the backlash, benevolence has received so much backlash as it's anti men simply because it's led by women. But we don't say that about every other mosque that's led by men. We don't say you're anti-woman, <laughs> yeah. right? But um, the reason, you know, at the time I remember having um, this thought that I was slowly being ushered out of the mosque and we need a space to run our classes. And so what if we started this community and for converts and for the broader community and it had a female feel? What would that look like? It would be a place of compassion and a place of welcoming and a place of meeting people where they're at. What would a third space look like? Right. Now, once again, now, 15 years later, it's everywhere. Yeah. A third space is everywhere. But back then, having a third space was radical. It, what's a third space? It's not your place of worship, so it's not your mosque where there is etiquette and dress code, but it's not your cafe, coffee shop where there's no... Dress code. It was coffee. Yeah. I remember making coffee there. <laughs> <laughs> but a third space is a safe space where it's a semi-religious space, Amen. a semi-sacred space where there is a protocol there mm. and you come for a purpose and it's people are coming for a God-conscious um, uh, gathering. And so I actually remember the very day that I thought this through and I messaged or I called Angie at the time and saying to her, I want to see you. And I drove all the way here 
And I caught up with her and I said to her, I have this idea. What do you think? And then she said, go for it. I'm like, would anyone come? Would anybody be there? And she's I, remember, like, I remember Angie coming up to me after she spoke to you. She yeah. goes, I'm at this, 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 yeah. this. <laughs> and she said, they'll come. Yeah. Started off. I'm like, okay, bismillah. Yeah, and then we've got the team together, Abir, Angie, uh, Susan, uh, Mez, a few of the other friends. No. In my house, in the rompus room, we, we still got the paperwork and we put our vision together. Wow. And there was a uh, few names I remember. Yeah. I remember a few names, but I think yeah. the benevolence one was the one that stood out out of all of them. Why benevolence? It's a good question. So a lot of people don't know this, but um, we were thinking of an English name, an Arabic name, an indigenous name at the time. We weren't sure. So I emailed my, my sheikh at the time and I said, we'd like to start this. It's for converts, for the broader community, and it's led by women. Do you have any suggested names? Wow. And I didn't say benevolence. He said benevolence, benevolent, or another uh, derivative of benevolence. So oh, wow. we took and benevolence. So nice. it was his trust. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So now it's been established for um, uh, 15 years, Alhamdulillah. And you've got uh, a school as well? We have a weekend school, uh, which also started off because my dear friend Susan wanted a place for her little daughter to study on a weekend. And I said to her, no, don't send them to any madrasas. I'll teach your daughter. So she came to my house oh, and wow. I started teaching her. And then I had another friend said, can you teach my daughter as well? I'm like, okay. So I had these two girls in my house oh, and then a third person. And then before I realized, like, yeah. we're That's how it all starts. And I tell people, it's exactly. It, it starts with small footsteps. You know what I mean? Same as last. The first retreat was just 30 yeah. boys Absolutely. on a farm. You know what Absolutely. I mean? And just, it just starts. You know, it's that nobody, it's, it's not going to get there. You know, it's going to start here somewhere. Subhanallah, isn't that amazing? It's organic. And, and well, everybody can do this. You know, every one of us can has the opportunity has the opportunity to do okay. these little footsteps Absolutely. of, you know, holding that torch. You know, being the light bearers, inshallah. My four boys plug. My four boys have all come there. Yes. They've caused you grief, don't worry. <laughs> no. So we have a weekend school. We work with converts and we work with the broader community, those that are interested in Islam. And we've seen the growth of Islam happening. Yeah, sure. And over the years, where once upon a time, we one person that would contact us a month or every few months to learn about Islam. Now it's a weekly occurrence. Wow. Something has happened since COVID. People are just asking a lot more questions. Oh, that amazing? And weekly now we have you know people converting and we then we need to support people wow. through salat and prepare for ramadan and family support and everything that oh, comes I'm with it um so alhamdulillah that has opened up the opportunities i worked with tetlif in america for some time and Sidi Usama rahmatullahi was alive we worked with them and it's also a convert organization so we it's just so important convert work i'm incredibly passionate wow. about. No, much alike, yeah. mm -hmm. amazing Mashallah, that space has has evolved so sure, much yeah. in what you guys are doing and so much more. I remember you had some mental health workshops, workshops, and, you know, and stuff like that. Essentially, it's a community. And people say to me, so what do you do at Benevolence? It's like, it's what a mosque traditionally was. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's a place where people, people can come as they are. And when I say as they are, this idea of no judgment, it's such an... It's, it's, it's loosely used, this language of no judgment. <laughs> but I'll give you an example that might bring it home. Once we were running a Prepare for Ramadan workshop, so we have converts, but we also have what we've dubbed reconnecting Muslims. It's someone born as a Muslim, but later on in life wants to connect. So mm. they're called reconnecting Muslims. As opposed to someone that's been brought up in a Muslim household and just understands the deen. Mm. Now he's 
they've drunk the water of the religion all yeah. their life. And so we were doing a, a, a Prepare for Ramadan workshop and there was a le- one lady that walked in and she did the workshop with us. She was a reconnecting Muslim. And she said to me, this is the first Ramadan. She's probably in her 30s. She said, this is the first Ramadan I'll be fasting. Wow. And I'm so happy that I came to learn about how to fast. Wow. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm glad you came too. And I said, why haven't you fasted before and what brings you here? She said, I didn't fast before because I didn't know how to fast. I don't wear hijab. I didn't know where to go and ask questions about how to do it. And I heard about you, your organization, that you don't judge people. Wow. She said that. And I was like holding back tears. Oh, wow. Amazing. And her first Ramadan. But because why? We're not going to judge her that she doesn't wear hijab and that she doesn't know how to fast. That's so we underestimate that's We do that. We do that in the retreat. And we, exactly. we, we, had a, we had a story about, about judgment. Yeah. We were with a group of brothers, five of us. We went on greys. We bought some equipment. And we, we went to Northgate. It was in Northgate. And we, the place was just so filthy. But we wanted to pray. Hmm. And across the road was a church. So I got a boys, let's go to the church and pray. And they're like, what are you talking about? They're not going to open up for us. I go, Okay, it's pulting down rain. What did we do? We knocked on the door. Lo and behold, the priest opened up and mm. we said, can we use your facilities to pray? Mm. He said, this is a place of God. Mm. You can pray whatever you want. Nice. His adab was so profound. He actually went into the hall, put the heaters on. Oh. All brothers prayed. And when we finished prayer, we all looked and we said, if somebody walked into one of our masjids, mm-hmm. a non-Muslim, and asked, this sheikh, do you mind if we pray to God? What would have happened to him? What kind of reception would he have got? We all started crying because we knew what would have happened. <laughs> he would have been ushered out. You know, what are you doing? Uh, thank you, Shahada, brother. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And we said, subhanAllah. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about exactly that where people feel comfortable enough, even if they make the mistake. Absolutely. And when we look at the seerah yet again, it's filled with those yeah, examples. Man, 100%. The biggest one is when a man, a young shab, comes to the Prophet and says to him, Ya Rasulullah, give me permission to commit adultery. Like fornication, rather. Give me permission to. Who says that? Who says that to anyone, to a sheikh, to anyone? <laughs> Let alone the Prophet. <laughs> but it's what the Prophet did. He came closer to him. That tells us right there, meet them where they're at. He came closer to him physically. And then he gave the most, as we know, the example said, would you like this to happen to your mother, to your sister? He gave him that. So he brought it really home. From that, we come to realize that we need to meet people where they're at. If we're going to give any kind of words of wisdom, we need to meet people where they're at. 100%. And we need to time to do that. We need to create the space for that. Yeah, 100%. I'll reiterate, that's one thing we have at the retreat, which is amazing. We have a, what we call a shark-free zone. Yeah. Everyone's going to bleed at the retreat. Ah, nice. And everyone's going to be vulnerable, yeah. but nobody will attack. Yeah. Mm. So this is what we have. That's, we have, that's the and, hardest thing. And this is where we have. And which, which opens a lot. You know, so, people so we, we have a lot of people. Topics that they normally don't talk yeah, about. And we have a lot of people that open up. And that's how we open the retreat with that, yeah. is that this is a shark-free zone. Yeah. People will bleed here. Yeah. So nobody here will attack. Yeah. And, and subhanAllah, it's amazing how everybody puts their guards down. Mm. They feel, it's, an, it's a space that's comfortable. 100%. So people start sharing. And, and you know, there's so many things that are so deep, you know. 
that are internalized that you don't want to talk about and don't have the courage to speak about. And suddenly you see other people sharing and then suddenly it's just the information and the the conversation flows oh. so powerfully. SubhanAllah. I love it's it. It's so important. Isn't it? Isn't it? That's that comfort, SubhanAllah, that I it's say. I mean, you know, in Tetlif we, we, we used to do what does a safe space look like, smell like, feel like. Wow. You know, you think about it. What does a safe, welcoming space smell like? You know, it smells something yeah. inviting. Yeah, what does it look like? You know, you sing things yeah. in order, you sing oh, beauty. Wow. What does it feel like? You see people welcoming you with a smile. smile yeah. And we take yeah. that, we, we don't think about those things when we're organizing spaces. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you said that to me, automatically envision Tater's house. Nice. <laughs> so how I like the, the smell of the yeah, cooking, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I felt yeah. so homely, homely, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> so and that's why we call it Benevolence House, not organization. <laughs> no, it's a house. It's amazing. So, 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 when you said you that, are. I was thinking, oh, wow, it brought me to Tata's house. Beautiful. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, subhanAllah, now that we've gone through your journey, uh, mashallah, I'd love to get an idea from you, which is what does success mean to you, as mm. this is your success story. Mm. So I would love to hear from your I didn't know I was talking about my success story. I thought I was just talking about my life <laughs> um, because these are things that Allah Ta'ala has, um, I believe, has gifted me with, whether it might be, say, the gift of the gab or the gift of connecting with people um, or the gift of you know creating spaces or dreaming. I, I often say I'm a dreamer and I dream about things and I create them, but they're things that Allah has put within me. Everyone's got something that Allah says, I want you to use. This is your gift, and this is your gift, and this is your gift. Success is not that for me because whether Allah accepts them or not is a different conversation yet Amen. again because Allah has given me these gifts and he's given all of, the, all of us gifts Amen. to fulfill our potential. Our responsibility is to have intention for his sake and whether he accepts them or not, we do not know. Mm. Maybe other people will benefit from our work, but have we benefited from our work? Allah. That we yeah. will not know. You, we don't want to be that person on the day of judgment that people say, thank you so much, Sarah. I, I became Muslim because of you. I practiced because of you. And then I lose because of the same act because my intention was other than Allah. Yeah. So success for me in this world is what the, you know, it's what the Prophet says. It's one who lives this world in accordance to the boundaries of Allah Ta'ala and plans for the hereafter. Allah. That's Allah. success. Like we won't know if we're successful. Let's have this podcast in Akhirah. Let me take it. Let me take it. Give me, give, me, give me a moment in your life where you felt the most proud. What was that moment in your life where you felt proud of yourself? What was that moment that you just said, you know what? Alhamdulillah. You know, I, 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 I love the fact that Alhamdulillah with Allah's will I've achieved this. As soon as you asked me that, I saw myself giving birth to my first child. SubhanAllah. That's the first thing that came to my mind when I first became a mother. Allah Akbar. Um, because if I were to be honest, and I'm not just saying it, if I were to be really honest with myself, mm, I want to say two things. There are times when I'm in community work, in fact, all the times, I'm incredibly grateful because Allah Ta'ala could have allowed me to be any other human being and do any other job or do any other anything. But Allah Ta'ala has chosen me to serve his deen 
And there's nothing that I'm more grateful for. Nothing. And so I'm in a state of gratitude and I feel it immensely where I'm, you know, we're running a, for example, a, a Molid or we're running a Eid festival or we're running a you know, school program and I can see, or Salat, Eid Salat, and I can see everybody walking around and having fun and balloons everywhere and people enjoying themselves or people learning. And I walk around amongst the people and I just have this deep sense of, just that, Ya Rabbi, you chose me to be part of this. I'm so grateful. But in terms of, if you were to ask me what are my greatest achievement, my, my moment that I'm so proud of, it would have to be what I have worked incredibly hard on and has given me the greatest joy and pleasure and the greatest heartache. And that have to be honest, it would be my marriage. Wow. My 33, alhamdulillah, year marriage. And as a result, my three children and as a result, their families <laughs> Because that is Four for children. My wife will get upset. <laughs> Four children. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, not at all. And grandchildren. Yes, that's so true. I'm uh, glad you did. Because that is investment in this world and in the world to come. And it is has been the hardest work. I mean, if people understand relationship hardest is Nobody teaches you relationships. No. It's about nobody teaches you how to how to fulfill an amazing relationship. You know what I mean? It's how about the biggest questions we get asked. And one thing we do workshop in in the retreat is that relationships. Yeah. And subhanAllah, how many people are, you know, struggling with relationships. I think every every human being does. And it's because you're yeah. living with somebody, you know, subhanAllah. You're doing life. You're, Excuse life. Me, you're doing life with another human <laughs> exactly. being. Exactly. And, and so they have different perspectives and they have Absolutely. and they pull you one way and you pull them another way. And it's like And it's then like of a course you're going to change. Band. <laughs> of course you're going to evolve throughout your life. Yeah. The person that I was when I was eighteen is definitely not the woman that I am today. Yeah. Nor is my husband. So doing life is messy, even yeah. on your own. Amen. And when you're sharing it with somebody else, it's incredibly messy. Yeah. But there is nothing that gives you more joy Amen. than your family unit. And and nothing gives me, you know, more upliftment because it's, like I said, the investment is not in this world. Investment is in the hereafter. You know, our family unit is for this world and the world to come. So why aren't we investing in it? All the other things, alhamdulillah, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're great. You got to start in the hub. You got to start at the core. Yeah, the core Inshallah. is the key. And that's and the it's the most challenging. Yeah, really. You got amazing kids. Inshallah, yeah, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. You know, people often say to me, "What's your secret?" Honestly, Ibo, Allah. Amen. I have nothing to say. There are no secrets. We've had all your kids work for us. <laughs> <laughs> We've given them fiesta to me. Yeah, that's for sure. That's true. <laughs> We've given them fiesta. Okay. It's community upbringing. I love it. It's community, yeah, family and community upbringing. It's not parents that raise the kids. It's the whole no. community yeah, that raises the children. Yeah, I, t- I totally, totally agree. Plugging into a community yeah. is so important. It takes a tribe. It takes a tribe, Allah. I see so many parents that come to me when their child is 18, 19, like, help me out. My child's going off the tracks. I'm like, mm, where have they been? Yeah. Like, so bring him into community. You've got to be part of community 100%. from a young age. You and your spouse have got to be part of community. It's so important. It's the best advice so, you can give, mashallah. Yeah, yeah. Like, even my boys now, I, I go to Preston Mosque and do Bilal's class, mm. take my four boys. It's nice. been profound. So important to plug in, so important for them to even be around 
their, the community, their same age groups. Those, those important things that we did, our community at the moment, we know we're hitting 46s and we're plugging out because we're so disappointed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. You've got to Never plug in. Up. What's there to be disappointed about? And as I'm just saying, so, so many, so many, yeah. so many people are disappointed right, from right, previous right. experiences. Yeah. But you, know, you need to plug in. That's what I'm know, trying to say. Subhanallah, as we know, like there's a lot of this burnt mentality within yeah. the Muslims. You know, dealing with Muslims and all that. Subhanallah, we've seen that when we set up networks. Subhanallah, I think it was quite challenging to get brothers and sisters in to connect because yeah. of the birth mentality. Oh, you know, the ones that have ripped me off are Muslims. The ones that have, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that, that I don't want to do That mentality, trying you know to I mean? bring them. And then bringing them back. And I think there's so many good brothers and sisters out there 100%. that have that sort of perspective and they just got to pull them in, you know, slowly, slowly. Mashallah. And, and, and I think that's that's a ch- very challenging thing we've I'm had. Really, in Alhamdulillah. Amazing, amazing. Amazing, Amazing story, Mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for sharing. sharing. And, and I think we want to end on this little caption. Okay. Inshallah. Um, and... Uh, Caption is uh, in a single sentence, mm. um, Sister Sarah. If I said to you in a I am sentence, how would you complete that sentence? I am, Sister Sarah. Oh, it's easy. I am a servant of God. Allah, Allah, Thank you very much for sharing. We really appreciate it. I think uh, we also would love to know before we close up what where where you're going, where you're heading with. Uh, what you're doing, inshallah. What, are the, what, what is, is the, the vision? What is the vision? What are the ambition out there for Maybe for we can get some Sarah? young sisters to come to <laughs> support you, give you a plug. Um, the vision is focusing on families. We've started a Good Beginnings program, which is a pre-marriage course for Muslim couples, Mashallah. which is best practice psychology as well as the way of the beloved, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that's a pre-marriage course for Muslim couples. And next we're looking at parenting because the family unit is the most sacred unit. Um, whether you're a single parent or a, a, um, a family of mother and father in the household, we need couples to better their relationships yeah. and then parenting to be done better um, based on the way of the beloved. We have everything there in, in, our, in our example of Muhammad Sallallahu So we're very much focused towards family and improving the family unit, strengthening the family And how would they find you? How do they find this? Benevolenceaustralia.org <laughs> or Amazing. Instagram, Facebook, but it's Benevolence. Thank They're you so on much. all the social platforms. <laughs> Find them now. Jazakallah <laughs> khair. May Allah bless you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for showing uh, our sister who's vulnerable and has gone through all these hardships. And inshallah. I think I ask uh, all our guests, inshallah, to really, you know, really resonate with that because every, I think one of us has had those struggles and mm-hmm. inshallah they can resonate with you. Yeah, appreciate uh, halal food. <laughs> appreciate a lot of things that Subhanallah, uh, the torchbearers have done, and may Allah bless you. Uh, I'd also love to remind our listeners and watchers, please subscribe, uh, as it's uh, quite a powerful thing that you can do for the channel, yeah. as it helps us uh, do more, get more guests on board. Inshallah, and Alhamdulillah for all that we have done. Alhamdulillah so far, and up to I think uh, sixteen episodes released. Uh, and I think yours will be the 20th. I think we're up to the 20th, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. A lot of good brothers and sisters out there, alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.